the HMG Podcast. I'm Daniel. I'm Tyler. I'm Jacob. And today, we're going to be deep diving into the beginnings of list building. Now, I say the beginnings of list building because a lot of the time, people go straight into take this unit, get started with this on this force. There's actually a step that goes before that. And especially if you're new to bolt action, if you're new to war games in general, it sort of starts with what is a list? Um, And so... We really want to cover those aspects there. Um, so Tyler's probably got some questions as I go through this as a newer player. I'll be I'll be basically you guys if you haven't played war, war games before because that's basically where I'm at right now. Yeah, so if, if, you, if you want to kind of rank positioning on uh, where we would be within playing bolt action, we've kind of got newcomer, intermediate, and hardcore war games. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to play a lot of games. Um, <laughs> a lot of games. Um, and so really for new, new players then, uh, or gamers and hobbyists in general, when we refer to a list and what we actually mean by a list is that's what you comprise your force of. That is what you would bring to a table to play a game. It's what you'd, uh, the miniatures you would actually physically own or borrow uh, in order to play and facilitate the game. And the list is a bit of paper that you then write that all down on. Uh, and generally, you know, depending on the game system, they'll have points, they'll have other information you need to note down. But that's what we actually mean when we say a list. Uh, yes. It's just worth getting that out of the way early. <laughs> so to put that in any kind of reference, if you're absolutely brand new to war game and what we're talking about list, uh, Dan mentioned a point cost. Yeah. Make a, to make a good comparison would be a real-time strategy video game. You are spending resources in the game to comprise with your army. That's right. So in in bolt action, typically you're given either a thousand points, twelve fifty, something like that, that both players will typically have the same amount of points level and then they can buy an infantry squad for say a hundred points, a tank for two fifty and these kind of things. So you have a look at all of the various options within your nation and you can pick and choose for the most part, what you need yes. uh, based on this is how many points it costs to, to actually purchase that unit. Yeah. And so once you know, so now we all know what a list is uh, in, in that very generic term. Um, when you start getting into list building uh, for, you know, for an event or playing for a game, um, there are several questions, even at the basic and beginning element of list building, uh, that if you understand what these are, it's going to help you build lists more efficiently. Um, not give you winning lists. We can't guarantee they're going to be winning lists. But these are lists that are going to, these are things that are going to help you actually construct the list and know what you need to be looking for. Um, it's going to be. I think it's going to be maybe three episodes long in total, but we'll cover the basics today. Uh, and the first thing you need to do is why are you creating a list? Uh, so, Jacob, if I was to ask you why would you create a list, what would your response be? So it really depends on what your goal is for the game that you're going to have. I mean, typically, if you ask me nine times out of ten, why are you making a list? I'm making something thematic. I'm making something that could be historic or I'm making something that's just damn cool. That's really the things that I look for. There are different players out there that really want, I want a hard-hitting list that does X. And that could be that you know it has a lot of armor it's very mobile it has a lot of infantry there's there's 10 different avenues you could have of list building itself and and the kind of thing that you're working towards uh for me i pick things that interest me within the history i i I look at the battles i look at the movies i like and i go these are things i want to recreate and have fun with that's my primary driving force Mm. 
completely different. It depends where you're at. Um, I mean, I yeah, I'm very much a thematic, but once again, it, with each of these topics is so broad. Like yeah. I'm sitting here thematic, and my thing. Yes. If you've watched last episode, yeah, which is, is pink. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. The theme is pink. I had this thing I wanted to do, and I wanted to do it in a way that I felt comfortable doing. Pink's the way to go. Like, it wasn't like, ah, oh, man, Band of Brothers, what a cool idea. Although, I definitely want to make that at one point. But, like, yeah. even yeah. within theme, it can just be like, you know what? I really like the cut of that guy's jib. I'm going to get him in and just build everything around him. Like, I, that's how I got started with mine, because I did, I got Captain K. Yeah, yeah. Um, like yeah. I was saying last week, from yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like crazy how... Uh... And then at the other side, we're all going to be attending an event very, very shortly. And, yeah. you know, uh, you might be designing your list around the actual missions that are being played, the side objectives that we have with yes. the Skulls event. Yes. Um, and then, you know, uh, maybe even to the level of... Uh, this is what I feel my local meta is like, how can I counter that, etc. Yeah, absolutely. They're all fantastic examples. Um, and that outlines the two main uh, views of why people create lists, which is a, a theme or a narrative slant where they're potentially building for a scenario uh, to drive, um, or an event or a tournament where it's mission focused or uh, you are looking to be a little bit more, I guess, competitive is, is a word that was used quite frequently. Um, there's also, uh, specifically if you're recreating a battle, you might be building a list specifically to recreate the elements that were fighting within that battle. Um, so one of the ones that's happened quite frequently is recreating a D-Day fight um, mm -hmm. like last, I think it was last year or the year before, where Warlord yeah. did their big promotion around the D-Day anniversary. Um, but there is actually one other probably underdog of, of list building, and that's what, what I would call a generic all-rounder list. Mm -hmm. And you're not actually building that because of any particular reason, um, you're building that because you want to play a game. You're actually yeah. just—it's yeah. actually just the—it's your pick up and playlist where um, you know I've, I've got several of them for my different forces. Where I go if someone's just coming for a game, or or if I'm wanting to teach someone how to play, there are certain things that I'll just include automatically in my generic list so I can work through those mechanics with them. Um, but it's—they're generally very balanced, very flexible uh, to be able to do that, and it sort of doesn't. It's thematic because it's historic in its in yeah. reality, yeah. but it's not actually a historically based list, um, yeah. and it's certainly not an event um, min-max list or a competitive yeah. list or anything like that. I think most lists become that because, like, yes. you start with something, you have this idea in mind, and then you know once you've built the list, you're like, ah, that's good, and then you're like, I also like that, and that toy, and that toy, yeah. and that. Yeah. so yeah. you get, you get more. Yeah. I think you have that generic, but I think starting with like that theme narrative is a really good way to get people involved. hundred percent. I mean, we've I think we've said it before on this podcast, but any anyone that's involved in scale modeling or anyone mm -hmm. that's involved in historical wargaming uh, or even the sci-fi stuff and the other different channels, like the aesthetic is a huge part of why people Definitely. get involved. Um, you know, and and it's not surprising that most people. When they think about, I want to build an army, most people will go, I want to build an army that actually represents X, Y, Z, whatever that, mm -hmm. whatever that be. Um, so that's the first thing. You need to understand why are you creating a list. The next part of list building uh, as a generic guide that you need to be aware of is what are the parameters that are either set for you or that you're going to set yourself. Uh, these are essentially the rules of do's and don'ts when you're actually building your list. Uh, some of them are by social convention, so you don't normally want to see, uh, I guess, in a generic list, let's say, 
by Flame of Profiles, backed up okay. by two yeah. multi-launchers. Did someone say Polish cavalry? Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> we, we should clarify, we don't disagree with any of those no, things, no. And, and we actually heartily support <laughs> you play the game to have fun for you, and if that means that you do something like that, that's fine, that's not a problem. But in terms of parameters being set, we're talking more about how many platoons do you want to put in your list? How, like, what do you actually want to represent? Uh, how many points are you building your list to? How many points are you given? Uh, whether you're using a dice cap or not. Um, and it also depends, as you touched on, Dave, just quickly, what's a dice cap? Ah, a dice cap. Playing at home. Yes, thank you, Tyler. So generally, every unit will have its own board of dice and that goes into your total dice for the list. Mm -hmm. uh, a dice cap, as it's colloquially known, is essentially a limit put on by generally an event organizer uh, or occasionally by agreement by players where the number of units can't exceed that dice cap. Mm -hmm. um, there are actually several different takes on what that means. Uh, for example, it may simply be you can't take any number of units above that amount. So if it's 12, you can have a maximum of 12 units. Um, I've seen the one of the other classic ones is it's 12, but if your army or faction allows you to have extra uh, units like the Romanians or the, uh, the Soviets, yep. um, you can have that unit as a bonus because it's part of the rules um, and both are valid. Uh, yep. I've also seen them try, um, you know, if the unit cap is 12, you can include as many units as you want that you have points for, only 12 ever get to activate, uh, which okay. is a different spin. Really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another level of complex play because yeah. you, you essentially are forcing yourself, you know, take as much as you want as you can fit, but you're only allowed to activate this many units, um, which means you are guaranteed to have units that don't do anything yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, that actually can give you a little bit more flexibility on the battlefield. Yeah. Very different type of game. Um, make sure you and your opponent are aware of what you're doing yeah. when you do that one. Um, and then the other one uh, after, the, after the parameters there, is your local meta. So mm -hmm. um, the local meta is extremely subjective. Uh, it does, if you can, even in Perth, we, we have a really good meta, but even in Perth, you can travel from one group to another. They might only be 10, 15 Ks apart and their recognized, uh, I guess, group rules and the way that they would build lists is very, very different. Um, and so if you are playing in a local group and you're not sure something is either too powerful, or maybe the other side where it's too underpowered, where you haven't got enough teeth in your list. Don't be afraid to actually talk to people about it, mm -hmm. because oftentimes, uh, you know, the times that I've had where I've gone, oh, I'll just bring something that is like this, and it's either been either ridiculously underpowered for, mm -hmm. for what I was going in for, or it's been the other way where I'm like, that list was actually probably a little bit too tough uh, mm -hmm. for, the, for the game that we wanted. Um, so you do need to just be aware about that. Uh, it's more of an informal parameter as opposed to a strict rule. Yeah. Um, but it's something that you should consider. I think like also talking to other people is a great way of finding out. Like I had, I'm walking into this tournament and I have had no idea how to build my list, right? Yeah. I was here because I liked the color pink for this particular yeah. list. Yeah. I wanted a pink panther in there and I wanted a squad of 10 AR turning badasses, right? That was, yeah. that was my only yeah. parameters that I had. And then I'm sitting here looking at this list for, um, well, this empty list for uh, skulls. And yeah. I, was, I don't know who to talk to. And um, 
I just posted on the Bolt Action Perth group and uh, Calder Jackson, shout out to Calder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, he knows his stuff. He did yes, your song. I was like, oh, thank you. Like, he, he made my list for me because yeah. I had no kind of interest at that moment in time in learning how to do it. And so, uh, yeah, he, he made the list and I was like, oh, thanks, man. I, like, I know we're probably the enemy. He's like, no, no, I'm taking, I'm taking such and such. I'm not going to review this list. But people should be scared. I kind of looked at it and he told me how he's going to operate it. I was like, oh damn, I'm glad we're on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that could be just because I'm a new player. But yeah, from yeah. what I've uh, found, and this is just a general rule, I think most bolt action people are very friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they want, like, we want new people to come yeah. play play one of the games with us. For sure. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, so I think definitely talking and you know, Facebook groups and everything is a great thing. So the next thing then, uh, you know, so you've got your parameters that you're building to, you've got why you're creating a list, you know what a list is. The next thing, what are your core requirements? Mm -hmm. uh, and this one takes a little bit longer to, to explain because most of the time it will simply be an HQ choice, which is uh, a junior or senior officer to lead your force. It can also be a major or a captain. Um, I think there's even a couple of other uh, mm -hmm. forces which have specific leader type roles that can fill that. And then two troops choices or two infantry squads as Bolt Action calls them. Um, now most of that is driven from a roughly historic point of view where you would have someone in command and then a section or two sections or three sections depending on which uh, nationality you're looking at uh, as, as a battlefield unit and that's the scale that Bolt Action uh, works at. It used to be that simple. Mm -hmm. uh, not to scare you, Tyler. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. I simply mean that we all generally had um, a reinforced platoon out of the rule book, uh, and the theatre selectors, which I'll touch on in a moment, were generally all coming out of the, the army books, which adhered to the same format. Mm -hmm. um, tank War was released. Yep. So we, uh, we have tank platoons, which is uh, three armour fighter vehicles or yep. more. Um, and there's slightly different composition rules around those. Typically, you need a command vehicle, which yes. might not necessarily be a tank itself. Yep. It could be a half track that has you know an antenna on it or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, just before we go on, when we're talking about the two troops choices for uh, generic platoon, um, if you haven't really got into bolt action, Depending on your nation, that can be about 10 different infantry choices. It could yeah. be 20, it could be 30, uh, probably 30 is too extreme, but whatever. There's plenty of options that you can pick, and that can range from you know inexperienced troops to regulars to veterans and yeah. all kinds of things. So there's a lot of variation within the uh, generic choices Just that you're required to take. Yes. Um, you, 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 can, you can go all out, you can have double LMG squads, you can have SMG squads in there, you can have just riflemen and all that. So yeah. there's, uh, even though it's almost mandated that this is, per majority of your list, you're gonna need this, there's a lot of variation between every other player's yeah. list and how that looks. And how the models look themselves. Like, I can't believe how many different companies there are online that sell World War Two models. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and at different scales, right? Like, it's, oh, it's not even just a twenty eight. No, yeah. it's crazy. And like, I'm sitting there, and I come from. I have played war games in the past, forty <coughs> k, um, yeah. which is you know, 
that there is only one kind of place you can get those models. And if you have anything yeah. else, they're not tournament legal. Like yeah. people kind of don't like to see them on the table. You can't really play with them in the game store, stuff like that. So coming into this and it's just so open, it's literally yeah. like a wild west of, hey, you want your guys to look like that? You can make it look like that. Yeah. yeah so what else we got? So we got the generic um, platoons that have the two troop requirements in the HQ. We've got yep. tank platoons that have command vehicle and, and typically two tanks as well yep. for starters. What, what else is there? And then I think it was in either the Western Desert book or it might have been in the Battle for France book. And it's in one of the campaign books I do own. I just haven't remembered to yeah. put this part down. Yeah. Um, there's an anti-tank gun, a reinforced anti-tank gun platoon. So this is generic available to all nations. Um, yeah. And that actually comprises of an HQ and two anti-tank guns. Perfect. Um, <laughs> and and I, think, I think, from memory, it actually allows you to take up to three in yeah. one selector. Yeah. And with so, an anti-tank slot with as well. With an anti-tank yeah. slot yeah. on yeah. top. So, and, and so, you know, it really is, you start really for those scenario-driven games where mm -hmm. you're wanting to go, okay, we're going to have, for example, an armoured column walk into an ambush that's been set uh, you know, and so you might have an anti-tank, uh, anti-tank gun ambush that's set up in a mm. in a valley or whatever, where these these armored columns going to come through. You can actually recreate that mm -hmm. a little bit more easier, but uh, but you can actually take that as a list um, yeah. when when those things are available. So, uh, and I think there's a couple of other there's armored company I think uh, yes. selectors which are slightly different to tank platoon ones. The I think the LRDG is one of those and the yeah. Order Saharina um, Italian list, where they utilize, whilst it functions a little bit like a tank platoon, um, they're more the reconnaissance squads. Yep. So it's, they're lightly armored trucks with guns on the back and porties and stuff. Um, so, again, slightly different yep. configuration. What you will notice is that you need someone to be in charge, and generally they have to be in charge of a minimum of two units within mm. these cylinders. So that's that's really your core requirement depending on which way you go. You're going to need someone in charge and you're going to need two units that support uh, and do what they're told basically by the guy in charge. So when it gets to uh, theatre selectors, there's actually a lot of different options that you would get, you wouldn't traditionally get in a generic, generic uh, list. So we talked about a generic list would comprise of two infantry squads and an HQ at a minimum. And then typically you have additional slots in there that you can take if it's not infantry, probably one. So yeah. you could have one machine gun, you could have one place, or you could have one tank, one armored car. Yeah. When you get into the theater selectors, they really change that up to a level that would more be a narrative um, concept. So, sure. you know, uh, New Guinea is, is, is a great example. So um, you would have a lot of fighting within the jungle that would actually parallel very similar to Vietnam later on. Um, where it's all about ambushes. So, you know, there are lists that Japanese can have three snipers instead of just one. And, and, and But the thing is, they can't take any heavy equipment because they never had any, yes. right? Yeah. Or in that particular part of the world at that point in time that, you know, they're invading jungles and whatever, they didn't have any heavy guns or tanks with them and that kind of stuff. So the theater selectors are really interesting that you can take a different approach yeah. um, to what would be typically in a list. Um, so yeah, those are the those are the types that are out there. Just yeah. out of curiosity, because we did run the last skull tournament. I was there taking pictures. I wasn't playing, but um, uh, you allowed theater selectors, right? Yes, we did. How yeah. many people 
just out of curiosity, like how many people chose the other selectors? How many were like just generic or impossible terms? Off the top of my head, I think we were split about 50-50 down the middle. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting though is of the people that built a theatre selector in order to either access a particular unit type or a, or a particular set of rules or combination of units with rules, um, of the people that did that, most of the structure of how they actually built their list was a generic reinforced platoon. Like it followed the same, thing. yeah, it yeah. followed the same yeah. same rules, which which kept it, um, yeah, a little bit closer overall. And the, the, the so I took a um, theatre selector, um, and I was really going through all of the Western Desert theatre selectors. I even opened it up to a point where I had four or five lists and let people vote for it. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But with that, there are the restrictions are heavy. Yes. So, um, you know, we talk about just the Japanese with the three snipers or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, desert German lists don't have Panzer Faust. Mm -hmm. They also have their infantry squads are limited to what was in that conflict. Yes. So you can't get Waffen squads. You can only get the um, generic here infantry or the Schutzen squads. Um, and Schutzen is also something that's like a, a little bit contentious. People think it's strong, people think it's kind of mediocre. It's this weird balance of, um, and, and I found in the end I took regular infantry because I wanted more bodies. They can only have eight troops maximum in a squad. Yeah. Um, so with theater, there's, there's positives and negatives to, to doing what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. it's your, your generally with the theater selectors, there is a drawback. They're all, yeah. They're, most, if not all of them, are time sensitive. Uh, mm -hmm. So, like Jacob was saying, there's just certain equipment that, like 1942 or earlier, the Panzerfaust yeah. was still yeah. in development. You know, yeah. it wasn't actually released, it wasn't distributed, and it certainly didn't make it to the Western Desert. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, by that time, it was all essentially all over at that time. But, um, but you have other, even just this, yeah, the vehicle types, the weapon loadouts. So, the Soviets are a really good example. When you take a Soviet list uh, prior to I think it's 1943, mm -hmm. might even be 1942, um, you can't double stack your LMGs yep. in the squad. So even the squads yes. that are dedicated light machine gun squads, their ammo shortages were so, sorry, not the ammo, their munitions shortages were so bad uh, and actually physically getting the weapons on paper, squads had two. Mm -hmm. In real life, squads might have one. Yeah, because Germany had almost reached Moscow and pillaged and the production yeah. capacity wasn't there and the, the, the Red Army went through, I think it was three major reshifts in how they structured mm -hmm. the overall mm -hmm. um, you know, divisional levels to try and reallocate these resources and that meant that you had squads running around um, Whilst it may not have been as severe as you have, yeah, you have, <laughs> you have gun. Yeah. I don't, I don't know of any current um, record where it, it was that severe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly, you know, units ran out of ammo and stuff. Yeah. but I think yeah. every man still had um, a rifle. close to it, still yeah. had a rifle or access to a rifle. Yeah. Um, but definitely with the machine guns and some of the support weapons and things like mm -hmm. that, when whilst whilst the Soviet Union was recovering. It was there on paper, but it wasn't there in real life. Yeah. The theatre selectors actually reflect that. You just mm -hmm. simply can't take the second one. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just for the first two squads. It's for any infantry squad that you add in. You, yeah. just, you just can't take it. Um, yeah, which makes it quite interesting yeah. on, on how they work. Um, but you choose that because generally you get some sort of a benefit. Mm -hmm. 
when it comes to events, um, typically you will be dictated on what you can and can't take. So it's not uncommon to see theater selectors being not an option and yeah. Eric being the standard yeah. and maybe some events might have. I just say the perf. Yeah. <laughs> By design, and I think it's a really smart choice. Um, and then the other side to it is how many platoons do you yeah. allow in a list yeah, yeah. as well? Because yeah. you could you could really min max if you were absolutely adamant on a, on a particular uh, selection within one list to go with multiple platoons, so you yeah. can get you know two bazookas or whatever it is that you're really hunting for. Yeah, right. It's also um, the number of platoons that you play at the number of points level um, is often a, um, a bit of a slippery slope because unless a player is deliberately going to abuse it, there's nothing inherently wrong with doing that in the way that you build your list uh, by taking multiple platoons within the points level. From a, from a pure rules as written point of view, you can do it. You could, you could put three platoons in a thousand points if you really wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd argue there's maybe not as much benefit to do that necessarily because yeah. you've got to pay you've got to pay for those officers still that fit yeah. those HQ slots and you have to take the infantry that goes with it. One option is making them a smaller squad so you can yeah. get that stuff in. But um, but the the reality is that once you've got multiple platoons, certain other things become available. So America dual platoon lists at a thousand points were notorious in version one because you would end up with multiple machine gun jeeps running around. Mm -hmm. You would have multiple air observers, which of course yeah. American air observers got double airstrikes. Yeah. So I have played games against, which I still had fun. Yes. I didn't win them all, but I still had fun. I, I've had multiple uh, in games against that dual uh, airstrike list. And um, yeah. it's actually a quad airstrike list. Um, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty dangerous at times. Um, you know, it can, it can, it can Especially at a, at a thousand points, that can be quite challenging to deal with. Um, but there are ways to deal with it, and it's about learning how to play. But that's starting at the slippery slope. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, and, and I should say, we are not calling out anyone that plays in this way. Like, again, no. it's all equally yeah. valid ways to play, um, and I enjoy playing the game, so, so it's not a problem there. Another one is the Soviet um, Seaworth Heights selector that allows you to have two tank slots. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a late war selector with two tank slots, which means you've got access to generally some of the better tanks. So you could almost, in a thousand points, run two of those with two fairly decent tanks in each selector. So even though you're not running an armoured platoon, you could almost have four tanks on yeah, the table. Right. That's a lot of points to do that. It's a yeah, lot of points to yeah. do that. But you can almost do it, because if you just take, you know, if you essentially take three Russian squads, um, then it makes it quite simple. Okay, so um, now we're going to move on to the purpose of creating lists and we're going to list a couple archetypes of what a list might entail and your kind of decision or process or purpose of where you're heading in, in the sort of that list. So yeah. the very beginning we'll probably talk about what we call balance, which is the generic uh, platoon kind of mentality where you're taking an all-comers list that can typically handle any sort of scenario and that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's probably where I design most of my things uh, because it's not the wrong answer in any situation. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, there's a lot of tactical flexibility with not locking yourself into it and then 
into these other archetypes that we're going to be talking about. So, um, yeah, run through a balanced list, um, Dan. Yeah, so I 100% agree with what you're saying there, Jacob. And especially for anyone that's learning or is new to the game systems, to build a balanced list first and, and get a hang of how that all plays out and works is a much better approach. You can do some of these other ones, but it takes a little bit more effort because the learning curve is a little bit steeper. Um, so with a balanced list, you're adequately able to either defend or attack. Uh, that's really, in a nutshell, that's as simple as it is. You are, you are either able to, if you need to get to an objective, you advance and you can support that objective, not just with the unit that's there, but with the rest of your list. You can support and an, an attacking advance. Um, alternatively, if your opponent looks really scary uh, or has a multi-launcher, you can defend. <laughs> and that might mean you know, spreading out to minimize your impact, uh, you know, trying to get out of line of sight, trying to force your opponent to come to you so that you can deal with them on your terms. Um, a balanced list can do either of those, and it will do either of those just as well as each other. So there's mm -hmm. no, there's no uh, forte or primary objective out of that. It's simply, uh, okay, I need to defend on my right flank, I need to attack on my left flank, and so I'm going to sort of try and sweep this way and anchor it in. Um, so a balanced list will have a little bit of everything that we're about to talk about um, mm. through, throughout the rest of these types. So typically, uh, when I think of balanced list, when it comes to construction of it, I need things that can handle armor. I need lots of infantry options that can handle infantry, um, and I might put in some artillery pieces as well. So uh, I look at mostly all of the unit slots that you can have and, and see what's best I can fit within the dice cup, within the points limit, that's all going to complement each other rather than really anchoring in on this is the focus of the list in the sense of yeah. everything's anti-infantry. Yeah, I and think, sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, other host of the show, Gorton, puts it best. Yeah. Uh, he says he wants a toolbox. That's right. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, like, 100%. Balance, I'm like, you're able to do everything. Like, if you lose one part, you're not like, ah, oh, damn, I'm lost. Like, I've actually, yeah. like, I can't make this list work anymore. It's like, he's just like, I have a tool for every single job. And he also says, if I'm, if I'm hammering in there, I don't necessarily need a hammer, I just need a wrench. Like, so it doesn't have to be the right unit for the right yeah. job, like exactly, but as long as it it's kind it's, of- It's having works. something there that you can use. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's important about a balance list, um, you generally will find that a good balance list will have, I'd say anywhere between three to four squads worth of infantry um, mm -hmm. and, and probably, you know, the eight to ten man um, squads worth of infantry um, because bolt action is an infantry game and if you have a good core of infantry within your list, you will generally find that you can defend or attack or mm -hmm. hold an objective or put pressure on an opponent. Um, so, yeah, just have a think about that. The, inf the type of infantry starts to matter a bit more and how you equip them matches a bit more with the archetypes, but in a balanced list, you probably want three to four actual units worth um, of, of, of bodies and, and guys with arms. And I, I think it's really important when you are designing a list to actually look at this purpose just a little bit closer in the sense that, okay, if I'm typically going for mostly a balanced list, then, you know, these 
other ideas that I might have in my head that are pushing it out of that scope might not be the best idea. Um, in particular, when your mentality is this is the way that I want to play, and then I have this little side asset that's just not in line with the thinking and the mentality of the entire list itself. Yep. So people can get really sidetracked on things that are, um, you know, very cool in a, in a sense. So, you know, I, I absolutely want a tiger in this list. Does that make it balanced? Maybe, maybe it doesn't. It really, you, yeah. do, you have to tweak around it to, yeah. to, to make absolutely. it work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you have an aggressive element within your list, is it now balanced? Is it now aggressive? Mm -hmm. And if you are going for an aggressive element, maybe the list should be aggressive entirely. And you should really focus on that element of the of the list itself, and that's the mentality of the game. Instead of just picking and choosing uh, one game mentality and another, and trying to work them in unison. Don't tell me that now. I've got a panther in there, and then I've also got a squad of. I've played plenty of events with a panther, and we're pretty good. My whole list is defensive, except there's one squad of ARs. I did tell Talia when he was coming over to, to help with this particular episode, I was like, just be aware, I'm probably going to melt your brain because I know <laughs> about some of this stuff because he's just tried to figure out how to play and so, I'm going to ruin it. I, I, I don't know if I articulated it quite well enough. Like, having one aggressive element is good. It's having fine. an AR squad in a transport or something Perfectly is fine. very good because yeah. it has a job and a duty. Yeah. But as soon as you start doubling down to two or three and then... It's. I know you have to wait. I'm playing for all the That's all right. We'll get This is probably actually a really good segue to move um, off of balance, and we'll actually talk yeah. about an aggressive list, right? Sure. Um, now we briefly covered aggressive list before on one of the previous episodes when we were talking about deployment. Um, but largely, an aggressive list. The purpose of that list is to take the fight to your opponent and mm -hmm. to keep up a very high level of pressure. Uh, so that you can try and force mistakes that your opponent makes and then exploit those opportunities. So, um, you know, a really good aggressive list uh, would be something like um, Warp and SS with assault rifles. Mm -hmm. by, by default, assault rifles are good. They're just, yeah. they're just yeah. good. I know some people don't think they're good, but they're actually really good. Yeah. The ability to take the assault rifles and, you know, put them within a truck or just be aggressive in how you position those you are generally going to outperform rifles. They're generally on veteran infantry. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can put the pressure up and you can take quite a bit of damage and, and force your opponent to have to deal with the unit that you're putting in front of them. That's what we mean by aggressive. It's about putting, it's, it's not about, uh, oh, yeah, my tank's really aggressive. Oh, running it forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't necessarily want to put your tank yeah. in a vulnerable yes. position. Yeah. Um, it starts being less aggressive and starts being bait. Mm -hmm. But an aggressive list, yeah, an aggressive units within that list um, are designed when you use them on the table, specifically by design, to force your opponent to react to them and to, and to put the pressure on and to be advancing and, and pushing on that defensive line to try and break it. And then as soon as you have, say, crumbled one or two units, either from uh, a heavy howitzer hit or a you know, the tanks got up and just machine something, machine gun something to death, uh, and a hole's been created. The next part of the aggressive list that really caps it off is you have to exploit that. You have to mm. exploit the fact that you've now created a gap in their line 
um, and you actually have to push that resource and really drive the wedge in. Um, and, and it's quite, when done well, mm -hmm. um, it's actually quite effective because your opponent suddenly goes, I've literally just lost my left flank. I can't leverage it back because I can't deal with the thing that just attacked me. So if you're if your assault rifle unit gets in and decimates an infantry unit, even though they've shot for this turn, for someone to take on an assault rifle unit, they've got to have certain tools in the kit. If they're only shooting back at you with rifles, you're going to win that fight. Like, yeah, you just yeah. you're just going to win the fight. Mm. I mean, we we know how well a, a, a veteran <laughs> fanatic assault rifle squad does against the squad. Like anecdotally, right? put yeah. them right on the flank of your uh, paratrooper force in the last available flank, yeah. and they just didn't move after they killed something, forced you to like change your game plan and everything. So. I can definitely see the purpose of having aggressive units. It just completely changes yeah. the like the rhythm and cadence of people's thoughts. Like that's you right. have to now deal with this problem that's placed right in front of you. That's and right. I, I would almost look at it from mm -hmm. a, a, another going back to the video game analogy. That this is now map control. Yes. And, and, and you know that might not necessarily play in with you know the objectives that are on the on the actual game board itself. But that's dictating what they're doing elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, so it, it, it's something to think about that, you know, now your strong squad is there on that flank and maybe it's not necessarily doing anything in the immediate for that side of the board. It's, it's dictating things that are happening elsewhere. Yeah. How it's just using direct fire and ambush are actually extremely aggressive. Um, if you've ever fought against someone doing that, it's because they don't use the indirect fire for the yeah. sits. They're going, it's like, no, if you move out into a spot that I can see you, um, I'm going to use the direct fire option and I'm just going to blast you. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you start realizing and putting things together, that's like they can choose the point at which they want to trigger ambush. I can't get inside the minimum range, um, but that's actually that's irrelevant because they're firing direct. Now, if I'm lucky, I might get hit on fours for the range modifier. I'm like, no one wants to get hit with a howitzer on fours. That's, that's, <laughs> like, that's like the worst thing you could You're possibly have. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not good. Uh, so we might just move on. So uh, how we about we just list what we have? We've got two minutes left. Yeah, yeah, right. so well, we, we've we'll got, cut this piece got, out. Yes, um, we'll cut it out. So we might just move through and we'll just list off the other ones quickly before we get into them. So there's obviously the opposite of aggressive, which is a defensive list. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll go into that. Then there's also what's known as the, um, the spam bodies or the high body count. It's known by many different names, but essentially lots of infantry models on the table. Mm -hmm. There's a mobility purpose, and the entire drive around that is that your force is more maneuverable, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, there's also high resistance, and so that's all about how much damage can you actually negate simply by being tough. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few very key elements that make a high resistance list. Uh, and then the last overall purpose of the list is leveraging out specific special rules uh, attached to units or theater selectors or nations mm -hmm. in order to make a very uh, honed and dangerous uh, dangerous force. Mm -hmm. What's the, the, like just here, behind the scenes, we have an episode sheet of what we're talking about. And yeah. Dan has written here, army rules like British rifle training. Yeah, I wrote British rifle training because I couldn't remember what it was called. Um, this is where you this is rapid fire. Rapid fire, that's the yeah. one. Thank you. Um, so rapid fire, which is where your rifleman, for every three rifles, you yeah, get an shot. extra shot. And so in, in the infantry squads that the British run, when you're using that trait, one of the four that are choosable, 
your rifle squads um, actually put out a significant amount of firepower. Yeah. Um, it's actually better when you double down on that and you take multiple sections that, that all suddenly you're putting out what equivalently, I think it works out to, um, to a group of 12 gets you an extra three shots. Mm -hmm. um, so you're almost getting a light machine gun at that point. Um, but when you're multiplying those squads, but they're all shooting towards the same target, yeah. those extra shots almost is a whole so other unit. This is actually a military doctrine within the British Army that starts within World War One. They, yeah. they call yeah. it tactical right. rapid fire. It's like the Mad Minute or something? Yeah, like yeah. 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 yeah, how many shots they and they just they were drilled to be able to cycle the guns and fire at a faster rate mm -hmm. um, with their bolt action rifles. So yeah, we're looking to cover those types and we just covered aggressive, now we're gonna go and have a look at defensive. Um, so a defensive list is designed to have the opponent come to you uh, and then break upon the defense that you've set up. And then you then meet whatever push they provide with your committed reserve. Now, that, there's a couple of technical things that I've rattled off, but yeah. when I talk about a dedicated reserve or um, your real reserve that you're holding forward that's gonna meet with the push, that means you need to have a unit of infantry or something that you have deliberately not put in the front line. So if you drew an imaginary line on the battlefield of where your deployment is and you've got your units across that line, you actually want one a little bit further back. It doesn't necessarily matter where it is. Central is generally better, but you need a unit to deploy a little bit further back so that whichever way the enemy or your opponent, rather than enemy, your opponent puts their, their pressure, puts their force uh, and, and makes, makes a move where they go, you can see they move their units and you go, they're gonna attack me in the center or they're gonna attack me on the left or they're gonna attack me on the right. Just break it down really simply to that. Mm -hmm. Your dedicated reserve unit needs to go to that spot. They need to go onto that side of the plane because otherwise what's gonna happen is they're potentially gonna get to that, they will hit your force, they'll potentially break the units and they'll exploit it just like the aggressive list we were talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. So when it comes to bolt action, um, Dan was just talking about reserve in, in, in the sense of actually having figures on the table that were kind of in your back lines and then manipulating yes. and moving to where they need to be. Yes. However, you can also in the game of bolt action opt to have troops in reserve which are off table. Yes. Uh, and outflank as well, which both could really sit into this defensive strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and ironically, the outflank also with the aggressive can work as well. Um, yes, you're deliberately bringing something in on the side. And we talked about those two particular mechanics within our deployment uh, episode that yeah. we did. Yeah. Um, covered those quite well. But absolutely, for a defensive, the ability to have something safe off board mm -hmm. and then bring that on at the spot where you need it to meet the enemy's push. Um, I cannot understate how important that that is for certain mission types. Yeah, um, that, that can be quite important. Critical. Depending on the actual scenario, but in a lot of instances where you have an attacker versus defender scenario, yeah, absolutely. there is typically a prep bombardment on the defensive position. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there, there's, there's pros and cons to having stuff on board and off, but um, Typically, one of the first things that a new player will do, either in a balance list or in a defensive list, is they'll tend to keep their armor in reserve. And that's so it can react when the enemy armor has already activated, yep. moved on the board, got into a position that it can be fired upon. That seems to be uh, the first lesson most people learn when they, when they start playing bolt action. What's the, what's the deal with uh, reserves? Like, does it have to have a reserve special rule or can I literally go, I put these three units in reserve? 
So I'll quickly summarize. Um, the mission will tell you whether or not you can or cannot put something into reserve or how much of your force. Um, most of the time it sits between 25 to 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, and simply, if it says you may put units into reserve, you get full agency over to deciding what goes into reserve. Mm -hmm. So you might sit there and go, I definitely want my AR squad and my tank in this particular mission. I want those things in reserve so that I can bring them on later, either where they need to go or to react to my opponent who's done something. Um, or if I see an opportunity that I might not, they just need to get on the board now. Mm. Um, but they don't have to have a special rule about reserve. Any unit is technically eligible. Cool. There are some that I wouldn't recommend doing it for, and that's anything that doesn't have a toe. Because yes. it will be stuck there. Yes. <laughs> you won't ever get it out of reserve. When it comes to reserves, there are a handful of special units out there that do have benefits for a reserve. Yeah. So right. typically, you uh, have your morale uh, rating of the infantry, the vehicle, the unit that you're bringing on, and you have to make a morale roll and yes. neg one and bring it off from and neg one. Neg yes. one. Neg, neg one. So you know sometimes you don't get the reserve that you want at the time that you need it, but Typically, it will come the next turn when you need it. Yeah. Um, but um, it will come the turn after. Yeah. After everything's yeah. dead. Yeah. Yes. But um, just in fact, when, when we're talking about reserve right here, the, the real big benefit of that in a defensive scenario is that you now have the deployment zone. So maybe it is the left flank that needs stuff or the right. Yeah. As you have to run. Yeah. I got one more question on defensive. Mm. Might be a slight giveaway that I'm playing a defensive list. Um, As was that. <laughs> How do you get your opponent to come to you? Because yeah. obviously that's the key to a defensive list working. Otherwise, they'll just be like, cool, I'm going to sit back here and just... Well, what happens if you have a defensive list, for example, fight a defensive list? Yeah. Okay. So one of the other elements of a defensive list that you will generally have uh, is some form of heavy weapon, uh, be it a heavy uh, a mortar, medium, heavy, whatever, uh, or a howitzer, or both. Um, so sitting back against the defensive list isn't always the best thing to do uh, because you can just get ranged in by HE shells. Mm -hmm. um, in order for, I guess, what you're talking about and, and force your opponent to come to you um, and, and have them uh, engage, you almost do need to bait them a little yeah. bit. And so this goes into, I guess, more the, the, the tactics and mechanics of playing. You, you, you actually want... You never want to run your units towards the opposition because you'll you'll be caught out of position. But you do want to generally, you know, advance up to six, try and use cover, and and play towards the center of as in the center line of the table. Not it's not the mm -hmm. center left to right, but up and down. Um, move, make movements towards the center to try and see what your opponent will commit. Because you've got to remember, bolt action happens one unit at a time. So mm -hmm. it's very it's very hard to say after the first turn. That you've had your opponent come to you. Um, at the end of turn four, when two or three of the units have approached forward and have engaged with you, and you've been able to go, that's great, you've now moved into line of sight of my howitzer or whatever, and I can just nail that unit on a direct shot, that's what we're talking about. So it isn't just sitting there um, uh, waiting, for example, like an Empire or Dwarf gun line from Warhammer Fantasy days, where yeah. you would just sit and you'd go, I'm just going to shoot you, I don't care. It's it's not that level, It's um, you actually do still need to get a little bit of engagement, but what you're trying to do is actually pull the enemy units mm -hmm. away from their support 
so that you can double down on them with two or three units right. and nail them with something. So, so typically when it comes to attack and defender scenario, there's a lot of objectives that dictate the attacker to actually come to you. Yeah. Typically they would score victory points being in your deployment zone. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but uh, th there's another way to sort of think about um, what kind of uh, dice activations you would do to retain the defensive. Like, uh, is your goal to actually just sit there until turn six in the sense of survive the oncoming attack. So yeah. that might be that you do quite a bit of ambushing and ambushing might not be firing, it might actually be going, going down. down. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. So a defensive list, um, yeah, so if you've set up in terrain, uh, so you've got your cover modifier and you know that your opponent, let's say you're playing point defense, your opponent has to run to the other end of the table, they've got three objectives they need to capture. You essentially, even after the prep on violent goes down, you essentially can go in ambush and wait to then either go down if you're shot at, making mm -hmm. your unit ridiculously hard to hit, um, or you can open up with fire orders at the end of the turn or as they move out of yeah. cover. Um, that would be one really good example. Um, you, you're right, you generally only see a dedicated defensive list uh, uh, in a attacker defender scenario. Uh, or if the selector that they used is specifically set up for it. So the, yeah. the generic anti-tank gun yeah. Yeah. set up, that is 100% a defensive <laughs> yeah. force because you are setting up yeah. at least three fixed artillery pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and on the same, you'll have lists that have multiple machine guns, yes. you'll have lists yeah. that will have um, you know, multiple snipers and these kind of things, mm. and, and, and they might not be, they might actually have the limitation that doesn't allow them to be Aggressive. Yep. They might not have transports, they might not have tanks or something like that. Yep. Okay. Uh, so that's probably covering off defensive quite well. Uh, so the next one, which uh, I'm just going to go through, is the spam bodies or the yep. um, you know the body count. There again, there's a number of names that this goes through. Um, Soviets are, and Japanese are particularly well known yep. for this particular uh, tactic. Um, but the purpose of this is you put as many bodies on the table as you can possibly afford within the points and restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, these are, don't necessarily have to be veterans or even regulars. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at the inexperienced horde style yeah. army. Um, it's lots of cheap units. Yeah, That's pretty and, much all it comes down to. And my uh, sort of feeling on this spam list, typically, not even having played it, but from, from reading things online, etc., um, it is about how much order dice advantage you can get. Yes. Uh, it is about not necessarily uh, winning any sort of combat itself, but surviving those attacks. Yes. Um, and then just really honing in on the actual numbers in the sense that the goal's probably close combat. Yeah. And having those numbers can really Make sway which way yeah. that it's going to go. Absolutely. Um, so there are a lot of things in there. So we, we talked about, you know, Soviet, Soviets are a great option for this. Japanese, the, you know, the, the option that, that, that's publicized online quite a lot is the spearmen who don't have the actual rifles themselves. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, doubled with the bonsai rules and, and that kind of stuff is just yeah. really cool. Um, and then uh, the other one I think is partisans as well. Partisans, yep. Um, that you can you can effectively do it with anything. You have so those are a little yeah. bit better or, or, or more um, concentrated say, efforts for that kind I'd, of list. Yeah, I'd say they have um, they've got more complementary rules that mm -hmm. them that make them particularly good. Um, 
but you could also, uh, you know, a spam bodies, uh, you know, it, it could simply be regular troops, not even inexperienced troops, but uh, I could take an entire US force with nothing but riflemen mm -hmm. um, and reducing my special weapon count to nothing uh, so, I, so I don't have any special weapons in the squads um, and instead I use that to purchase more riflemen. Um, mm -hmm. The entire force has movement, the movement viral, sure. yeah. right? And yeah. so um, every weapon that I put in of one of those that is also attached to a man puts the survivability of that list up quite significantly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's it's sort of it's a very simplistic view of it, yeah. um, and you do have to be able to utilize uh, your the actual units themselves. Mm -hmm. But it's basically get as many bodies as you can. Um, Don't buy things that aren't. Uh, so this, this is a little bit outside of the archetype, but typically now I am actually filling squads quite high numbers. So um, typically before this sort of revelation, I've been like going for, you know, lots of weapon teams within the infantry squad so that they can do the damage. But I always found that they were getting taken out. Yes. Um, and, and I think that survivability is, is something that, that's, that's quite important and it, and it can really come from not just the veteran stuff and not just, you know, these things that we're going to be talking about in the high resistance, but number of bodies is actually quite important. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, so yeah, that, that's spam bodies. Uh, the next one that we want to chat about is high resistance. Um, this is an interesting one. So high resistance is all about maximizing your damage resistance and capability within your force. Lots of veterans, um, anything, the Soviet body armor that makes yeah. it harder, gun shields on, on, yeah, on okay. your AT guns yeah. and stuff, using heavily armored vehicles, using um, the, I can't remember, the side armor panels on the German vehicles to, Shoots. that's it, to to protect, you know, it's, it's points for investment in damage reduction. Racky. Recce even, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting one because it doesn't specifically make it uh, harder to hurt, it makes it almost invincible. Yeah, because, yeah because exactly. Because if you time it right, you can just get away. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's thinking a little bit further about it, so it's veterans supported by a medic. So even when they do take damage, there's a very, very slim possibility that you might get it back. You might yeah. actually not yeah. lose it. Now. It infuriates people when a medic works. It infuriates them even more when a medic works on <laughs> <than> a veteran. <laughs> um, you know, taking multiple nine armor vehicles or possibly even multiple ten armor vehicles. Yeah. Um, taking ten armor vehicles that have extra armor, so they they're actually they don't take the side or the rear penalties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of those sorts of things, things that you're investing points to make it harder to deal damage to you. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? That means that your units are very expensive. Yep. Very expensive. Your, your armored fighting vehicles especially are gonna be on the top end of the scale in terms mm -hmm. of points. And you may even have, uh, because you're going with veteran infantry, you're also gonna have uh, potentially special rules attached to that, like yep. stubborn or fanatic or, yep. or any of those other ones that go on um, in, their, in their more specific senses. Um, but those things, fanatic especially, is very good it at damage resistance. Yep. And the, the sole reason is because the way that it plays out in the game is that unit's not dead until the last man is dead. Yeah. Um, in terms of damage resistance, you're, you're really 
because most people will you'll go to the fifty percent mark yep. of the damage, and then if you haven't got your fifty percent upright, then you know it, it's irrelevant. Once you reach fifty percent, you roll that morale check, and then they they will either potentially fall or stay around. Fanatic just goes, no, no, I don't care about any of that. Yeah, you have to kill me all, and so your your enemy has to your opponent. I keep saying enemy because the PC games have been playing lately. Yeah. <laughs> but your opponent that you uh, play the game against, they have to invest more resources to make that unit go away. Mm -hmm. um, and and that some of the fanatic squads that I've played with before with my um, my Soviets that uh, NKPD squads, they're brutal. Absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. You know, they're, sort of, they're only twelve man troops, and they're not. You know, they're, they're regulars. They're just fanatic regulars. And you know, my opponents are like, oh, they would have followed normally there. Yeah. Um, well, because they paid the points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just paid the points. Made yeah. Yeah. Um, three points a model. Definitely mm -hmm. point heavy. Yeah. But um, but I I truly think a worthwhile benefit if you're mm -hmm. going for that as the purpose of your list. Um, you know, combining that with a KV one would just be duck. <laughs> Um, when we were talking about defensive, uh, it's just, just a little sort of tactic that just hit my mind um, that we hit both defensive and higher resistance. Um, you were talking about drawing the enemy to you. Smoke might actually be a good um, variant to actually use within high resistance and within defensive yeah. for negating uh, damage that's going to be done to your troops. So it's something to think about. Smoke is actually a very strong option. We've talked about it a few times before. The It's just so difficult to make that decision and go, I'm yeah. not going to get a kill for this, but you might make a more sound decision up that it's going to have some more tactics for you. Yeah, smoke is, uh, smoke's a tricky one. Um, I personally really, really like it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and irrespective of what we think of how the rules actually work um, and things like that, or people doing house rules or whatever, I think that the reality is that smoke does have a benefit. It's just hard to pull off. Mm. Uh, but when it's pulled off, oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's one of those ones that it's like, oh, yes, great. I could really see high resistance being sort of a flavor of what you would do, either in defensive or aggressive. Yes. Um, it, it's not mandated in either of those. You can you can do spam in that if you wanted to. Correct. Um, but those are probably sort of key aspects to either holding the line or having a really aggressive attachment in mm -hmm. your force that they will do the job that they're designed to do. That, that toolbox analogy that Gorge That's right. Up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so the next one that we want to cover uh, and have a look at is mobility. Um, now, mobility has a couple of different facets to it. Um, the first is physically the models and how fast they are able to move around the table, being mobile. But there's also your ability to recce as a mobility yep. option. And, and that's more about, you know, if you stack a number of units together that are able to utilize recce, it becomes very hard to tie those units down mm. um, because it's hard enough sometimes to tie one recce unit down. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's about repositioning. It's about hit and run tactics. Uh, so one of the other, uh, obviously, classic ones would be a tank platoon uh, mm. utilising uh, mechanised infantry force. So you've got multiple trucks or half trucks with yep. troops inside. Uh, and so you can put a set of you know, 12, 15 rifles where you need it to go. Um, cavalry are a very classic one, um, yep. the same as tank platoons, but for a different reason. 
also come with the benefit of an escape move. Uh, and so do motorbikes. Yeah. Um, and normal bikes. And normal bikes. Normal bikes. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, so all of those different things leverage the mobility of the units and the list mm-hmm. in, in a slightly different way. Um, but it will make your list much more flexible in, in how it maneuvers around the battlefield. Um, I can't tell you the number of times I've looked at you know the battlefield that we're playing on. It might resemble something hypothetically out of Northern Europe, and there is hedges and walls everywhere, like just mm-hmm. just absolutely everywhere. And my infantry look at that and go, I am essentially going to move thirty six inches this entire game, which is still a lot. Yeah. But I'm not going to be doing a lot of accurate shooting if I'm doing that. Yeah. But I can't run through a hedge. I can't run through a wall. Um, yeah. I haven't tried that personally, but I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really gaining to do that. That's sensible. Yeah. Um, whether it's some of these other lists, like if I had a truck, if I had a half track for, mm-hmm. for some of those troops where I can then get over those walls or I can move them quicker than what a run would potentially on a road, um, you know, or if I'd taken, um, you know, I've got, got a nice soft spot for motorbikes um, yeah. that are where I'm sort of like, I'm tossing up some options on what I might do with another list. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, motorbikes at the moment are high on my priority list <laughs> to figure out how to get the most out of. Um, they also have an escape reaction like cavalry um, mm-hmm. when you take the motorbike units um, themselves. Yeah. Uh, but they're just, yeah, they're quite thematic, which is what's mm-hmm. sort of drawing me towards them. Um, but it's all about, you know, how can you reposition to negate your opponent's cover, get closer, get further away. Yeah. Um, with some of these mobility options, once you uh, essentially have taken out a fire order or anything like that, you're, you're forced to dismount. And so then you're an infantry unit at that point. Mm-hmm. So you've got to utilize the repositioning as best as possible. But when mobility is taken to its extremes, um, then you can start looking at things like uh, Tom's complete Polish cavalry list that he did, yeah. which he did on the theme, you know, sort of inspired by the, um, you know, the charge of the light brigade. No guns, well, sorry, I think he had two pistols and maybe uh, an artillery piece. Yeah. But essentially it was all cavalry. His list was so incredibly fast because those cavalry run in teams. Um, yeah. And so he was able to very easily reposition and if he was getting shot before he moved, he'd use that escape move and just disappear. Yeah. Um, so very, very good at, at outmaneuvering. And if you didn't know how to combat that, quite challenging to fight. Mm. Um, yeah, another another very quick one. So for skulls coming up in, in two weeks, um, I'm taking allies kind of for the first time, and I was really kind of stuck on what kind of infantry squads I wanted to fit in. Um, I've actually gone all rangers. So um, rangers are unique in the sense that you're paying an extra point of model, um, and that they have a free movement action before the game starts. So they essentially get a free run up the board 12 inches in any direction if you like. Um, but they actually have some cool, interesting rules attached to that mobility when it comes to prep bombardment. They and do. that is that you roll to see if they're affected by the prep bombardment. Like, does it happen to them at all? So on a four plus, I think they negate it or it's the other way around. Um, if they are hit with it, they get the normal effects, but they still do their free movement after the fact. So you can skip the bombardment at all because they're moving out of the deployment zone. That's um, yeah. So so you know for one point there's there's a 50-50 chance that they'll just skip bombardment altogether. Yep. 
Um, if not, they'll still do their free movement, but they'll they'll take the effects of the pins or maybe the casualties from the bombardment itself. So, so you're paying one point a model yeah. extra for their special rule. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So the way that it works out, so uh, the U.S. Rangers in and of themselves are a unit choice with that cost built in, and they get to the rule attached okay. to it. So you yeah. can't take Rangers without having that rule. Yeah. So um, you just but the reason you take Rangers is because of yeah. that rule. So you have you could have like one unit of Rangers, say in just like a generic kind of platoon, and yeah. it would just be that unit that could still like uh, advance twelve. Uh, advance. Yeah. But they run run they get the 12 run. Yeah. 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 So um yes, they essentially get uh, uh it's this free move. And it's been around since first edition mm -hmm. when they when they came out. Um that's kinda cool. It's very yeah, cool. I really the range I, I am yeah. surprised that I have not seen more American players running ranges in the WSC. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know what my next list is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the 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 problem with ranges as against what you know what Goshen will say is the you know the default in selector for US is that it isn't the Marine squad which has three bars and mm. a couple of more SMBs yeah. whatever else. Yeah. But um, when it comes to US, particularly with mobility, their move and shoot is is really yeah. good to begin with. So rifles aren't a bad option yeah. for US. Um, so my thought process going into this event is there's um, I think it's clear the cache. Is that the objective you have three things? So yeah. I want to actually get those points secured and make that map control before things get too hectic. Yeah, so that, that's, that's so I thought, you know, and it, you know, another ten points per squad in mm. the world wasn't really a big deal. And, you know, it seems like uh, I think prep bombardment is in all of those missions bar one if that. Um, so it might be a nice idea to actually not get bombarded. Yeah. Well, well, that. Yeah. well when you when you can sit there and you can go, right, cool, fifty percent of the time over the three rounds which is that that yeah. will round up to approximately twice if you were if yeah. you were if you were yeah. playing yeah. you know playing devil's advocate maybe it's yeah. going down to one but yeah. either way you're going to get at least one where they're not, yeah. one of them's not yeah. effective you potentially are going to get two or three rounds where yeah. you know you actually get oh and this time I, neither of them are effective. I took it for the mobility and I'm yeah. like oh wait this it can do this too yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's really cool yeah it's, it's like here's your chocolate and here's your sprinkles <laughs> yeah and your uh, cake and eat it too yeah, yeah. Uh, so the last one that we're going to look at is leveraging the special effects of rules. Now, this one in particular is it's quite short because the purpose, um, it's more of a tack on to other things, but um, this is like using Mongolian cavalry in a, in a Soviet list. Mongolian cavalry, uh, they're the only cavalry in the game that I'm aware of that are able to fire their carbine rifles as rifles whilst mounted. That is not right. a thing. Yeah. That's normally, you, you normally you have to fire them, yeah, or yeah. if you fire yeah. them, you have to fire them as pistols, which yeah. normally means people don't bother and they do yeah. so straight into combat. Mm. But these guys are like, no, no, we're trained, we can do it, we're just going to do it from horseback and we're going to use our rifles. It's, it's, I mean, you pay for it, right? It's yeah. with the points, but they are, they are very, very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, another quick thought there would be the, um, obviously, the finished special rules that allow them to do the advancing to ambush. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, you yeah, know, other things like very standard, it's German. Why not just double down on a lot of GMGs to get that extra shot off? That's right. Um, yep. And yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier about the British Rapid training fire. for rapid fire. Yep. Uh, 
And it's also things like uh, you know maximizing units that can go into forward deployment, maximizing units that are able to, and when I say maximize, I mean take as many as you can, not necessarily as big as you can. Mm -hmm. um, but you end up with, like I think the Chinese um, National Force has a, a really good way of getting multiple forward deployers or fairly large squads for cheap that you can just put yep. down the board um, and set up. But it's things like that. So it's, it's more of a tack on to the other purposes, but it can be a purpose in and of itself. I think I did this accidentally um, because I took a journalist yep. and, well, I didn't do it accidentally. Calder did it and then I realized why he did it. Because okay. um, I have, uh, cats have a bag now. Uh, two squads of AI. six with uh, LM two LMGs okay. yep. each, and he's like use them together at all times where possible. Yes. Now okay. I, was, I did. I was doing some counting, and I was like, that's like 20, 32 shots is what it was, like with rifles and LMGs. Yeah. Oh, sorry, twenty-eight shots. So on the same target as what he was. Yeah, he was like, just focus all that, and yeah. um, you'll be you'll be right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like I was thinking about it, like. Going through all this that we're learning and everything, you know, putting it all into practice. Um, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like defensive list, a lot of LMGs, just plant them down, make the enemy come towards my LMG squads where I then have my Panther yeah. and my AR to come back them up. And then if something gets in the way of my howitzer, oh, Nelly, it's in trouble. Um, so yeah, it was, it's interesting watching all this um, mm -hmm. come together in my head. And I hope it's helping the viewers at home. I had another point. Look, it, it's 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 a starting it's a starting point. Like you know, we we have listed some ideas of all these archetypes. Absolutely, there's a lot more to each of them, and we could go into a deep dive for a long time on all of them. Down the list building, If you really want that, ask this guy. Um, yeah, you know, put it in the comments or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, reading this list, I am. Now I'm going to sit back and think about what I'm going to do for my next yeah. list. So I, sorry, I've used the word list twice, but the list of archetypes that we <laughs> is how you know these are these are thought processes that yeah. will go into my future. Absolutely, list building yeah. to the game. And, and quite quite a lot of these are very representative of what happens in other war games of this sort of scale as well. So. You know, I, I know things like Flames of War um, has their type of um, list breakdowns and purposes of those lists. They have they have a spam body board yep. style. They have a aggressive tank lead. They have you know the spam list of other bits and pieces with those what are known as good units that you leverage to, to get across with their rules. Um, same, I mean the same in Games Workshop product games. Um, and yep. for years I played those, which is sort of where my understanding of a lot of this. Um, I spent a lot of time about thinking about how I think and thinking about how I build lists and talking to people about how we build lists um, to understand, you know, what do they think about when they do things and what does it look like? Um, and then looking at military history and learning about that side and what did they actually do in the real world? Um, what did they need to do in the real world? And what does that look like if I wanted to replicate that mm -hmm. on the table? One of the things I would have liked to have said before we started this purpose of list is that I feel, and I've brought this up a couple of times on this cast before, that bolt action is really a um, a game that can be consumed by a novice and enjoyed. Mm, yeah. Not understanding any of this, you can still play the game and 
you you won't be tamed because you don't understand these, uh-huh. or that you know you have an, a, a mobility list that is against a high resistance list. That doesn't necessarily dictate the flow of the game. No. Uh, I my understanding that that is actually a huge thing in other games where the game can be decided before dice are rolled. Yeah. Um, in bolt action, I feel that that is at a minimal. It is something definitely to think about and surely at the higher levels as well. But you don't have to do this to have a good time. You, and, and this has to do with the theme of the game. Yes. The fact that you know the statistics for an infantry model are pretty much the same across the board, bar what weapon options and maybe special rules that they have. Mm. And typically that you have a vehicle that has similar stats, you have medium tanks across the board with all nations. Yes. They all have slight variations, but you're never at a point where he has X, I can't do anything. Yeah. And um, you don't need to know everything. Like I was talking to someone right. last outpost, uh, outpost 6030. Uh, was Gorgon's friend, he'd been wanting to play for a while, I think. He played a lot of Warhammer and he came and played his first game. Bolt action. He was like, oh, it's great. Like, because I don't have to know the other person's codex. That's like, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, flat out. Like, I don't need to know, you know, what that Slanesh demon does or that yeah. Bloodthirster or Marine does. Again, not that there's anything any wrong with any of those games. No, like, right. we, we love playing some it of those. It just makes well, it really easy to consume. And it does make it easy to yeah. consume. And now, one of Bolt Action's selling points always has been its simplicity. And so, mm-hmm. some of those things that you're talking about have, done, have been done specifically to make the game simpler to consume, but also to make it faster to play. So you know that a man with a rifle, okay, it's a man with a rifle, he might be you know, um, slightly more experienced, therefore harder to hurt, but the reality is that you look across the table, you see 10 guys in a unit with rifles, you go, that's a unit of 10 guys with a rifle. It's exactly the same sort of capability and, yeah. um, and vulnerability as my unit of 10 guys with a rifle. I can certainly appreciate how some appreciate how some people find that um, maybe a little bit boring or a little bit stale, but it's, from my point of view, it's actually been very refreshing just to be able to get on and play a game and not have to worry about too many intricacies. And I yeah. love and I love intricacies, yeah. right? But, yeah. but uh, you know, to actually just play it and just get on with the game sometimes was the better outcome for me. It kind of depends on what you want. Like, and this is going off topic a little bit, yeah. but um, because like it's all about killing in like Warhammer, which is an awesome feeling to watch yeah. your models just wipe away squads or like do something really, 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 really heroic. Whereas the first time I played Bolt Action, I was like, I'm gonna shoot those guys. And I was like, cool, they take a one pit. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> like I didn't kill anyone. And they're like, yeah. no, no, pins are good though. Yeah. Then you understand how it all works. You're like, oh, okay. It's so it's not that it's bad or better. It's just, no, yeah, it's, it's just different. different. It's just yeah. different. Um, and it's, it's a different view on yeah on games and they've all got their different takes mm-hmm. and, and I've got to be brutally honest a lot of the games out there and even the ones that I haven't yet had the chance to play they are all good in their own way yeah um, you know that's why they exist there, there, there is a genius within simplicity and if something is easy for you to learn and hard to master it has mm-hmm. been actually designed very well and there's been a lot of thought into that actually happening yeah. So um, I, I think that, you know, when it comes to the fact that, you know, your opposing force can't have a unit that 
you just possibly can't have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it gives opportunity for really equal standing, regardless of list type. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's obvious benefits and negatives to, to, to everything that we've discussed, mm. uh, and, and they can really help on the table, but it yes. doesn't dictate it before you get there. No. no. And, yeah. and I think there's enough. Um, yeah, we obviously want a tangent there with us, but yeah. um, I think there's enough of that uh, simplicity balanced with unpredictability. So you've got, I mean, everyone gets frustrated by Rookie Pilot, but how frustrating would how frustrating would it be, um, you know, if your artillery strikes and your air strikes for you know, hundred points were bang on every single yeah, time, right? Yeah. Like it's you you. It would be a hundred points that you pretty much go. Well, I know it's going to come in. I know it's going to happen. So I'll always take one. Yeah. As opposed to where we are at the moment, where you've got people like myself, where I'm a bit dedicated, where I will generally, in certain types of my forces, because of the way I've built them, I will always have um, a an observer to support the army because I've built the army to function that way. Or I will actually not use one because yeah. I've deliberately built the army to go. I'm not going to be engaging in that space so my Japanese don't have one um, but and my US and there's mentalities to that not even within the sense that you know the US have two airstrikes so you've got more opportunities for air to come yeah. in but there are players out there that I know that just will not take the, ch the chance yes. that it has and they go that hundred points or whatever it is depending on the veterans and whatever else um, they say it's not worth it because yeah. I can guarantee points elsewhere, and yes. those can do work. Yeah. Although the airstrike is strong. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. And and I think yeah. But for me, uh, and I enjoy lots of different games and board games and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and I've been involved in role playing games where it's you know balanced or not balanced or whatever I choose it to be as a DM. But um, but the reality is that for for me, bulk action sits at a really nice place. Um, where it's easy to absorb and it's simple enough that you can still get some flexibility out of it um, and make it complicated if you need to and the system doesn't break and that's mm -hmm. probably the key part. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we might just jump back to the list building stuff. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> as the purpose of this podcast, you know, so So that will actually round off our initial beginning of list building, right? So yeah. that, uh, this is now your basic. So you, you know what your purpose of the list is, you know what that looks like, you know why you're creating your list, you know what parameters you're going to be using, you understand what the core requirement is, which is partly determined by your selector, but realistically it's it's someone to lead and then two units to support, and then after that it's really up to you and you, there's going to be a, a piece on you're that. You're not going to stop there, are you? You've got more for us. Of so. course not, no. This yeah. <laughs> is a deep dive. Yeah, so, so our next, uh, when we get the chance to talk about this the next time for the list building, we actually get to the trickier part. So this is then talking about the unit selection specifically. So we're going to get into some actual unit types and some mm -hmm. unit breakdowns. Um, I'm going to reintroduce or introduce, depending if you're new to the concept, uh, the idea of some very quick, what's known as math hammer, or what I know as math hammer. And in reality, for, for how that actually works in practice, it's just math, it's just a bit of mental math, but it's being aware of some key things using that mental math when looking at a unit to evaluate whether that unit is conceivably good or not for, for its points, but also for its effect overall on your list. Um, and then we're gonna talk about play testing 
why you should playtest a list and mm-hmm. the reasons that you want to be doing that to learn from playtesting a list. It's not going to happen every time, but if you design a list and you go, that that right there is what I'm going to work with, is what I'm going to try hard to uh, have a good win ratio with, mm-hmm. um, you've got to playtest it. Because yeah. if you just pick a bunch of random stuff together, even as an experienced player, it, it doesn't always work. Uh, and then it's, you know, you have to learn from your adjustments. So there's, mm-hmm. there's an adjustment and an iteration phase where your, your knowledge of how the game plays gets better the more you play, the knowledge of how your list works and what it can accomplish and what it can't accomplish gets better the more that you play. Um, but you have to actually put in that time to, to get it sorted out. Um, that normally happens more so for events and tournaments than anything else, um, but there's no reason that you can't do it for a generic list. For my, my initial list that I started, uh, it was a Siberian regular Soviet squad, uh, two guard squads, a tank rider squad, a T-34-85 uh, with a, an artillery piece, commissar, a uh, officer, sniper, anti-tank team, I think is what I started with. Um, mm-hmm. So that was about 12 units-ish yep. in that space. Um, I think it was just on or just over a thousand points depending on the equipment options. And um, I played that solely for about a year and a half. It was a balanced list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played that solely, no changes to configuration, no changes to the weapon options to learn how I could get the most out of those units. Yeah. I play tested it. Now, 12 months might have been excessive. I played, <laughs> yeah. I played a lot of games in yeah. that 12 months using that list. But I know now, whenever I pick up that list, whenever I pick those units out, and it doesn't matter what faction now that I pick those units yeah. up out of, I know what I can do with those units. Mm-hmm. I know what I can do with similar units. Um, and so that, that counts for quite a lot. Yeah, uh, well that's going to be really exciting to get into, but um, one thing I'll just end off here on the list building itself, don't just try it once and then just throw it away. Yeah. You need to really just try it a few times. It's it's very easy to get in this mindset of, oh, this didn't work. I need to adjust this right away and, and, and change things. You need to have a couple of matches yeah. to see where it's going to go. Um, and in the sense of that, uh, back to you're talking about your first list. My first list when we came back to V2 was just 30-man box of German Grenadiers and a Panther. Um, hey, oh, that's me. Yeah, but uh, you know, my, my mentality was I want to get into this game as quick as I can. I want to spend the least amount of money. So that's, that's your I mentality mean. for every game. Though. It is. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a different problem. <laughs> I'm probably putting a little bit more effort into Bolt these days. Than yeah, nah, this but, um, uh, you know, I won some games. I lost some, some games in yeah. that in that matchup. So like the. There's not a wrong way to sort of build something. It's no. really good to look into this and, and try and discover what's going to work for you. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll leave it there. So thanks for checking in. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm Tyler. And I'm Daniel. So this is the Historical Miniature Gamers Podcast. Thanks for listening to us. Let us know in the comments if you enjoyed this episode about list building. Give us any suggestions that you'd like for us to cover, whether that be a game system, some more tactics, event coverage, Anything that you would like, please let us know and we'll try and accommodate. Or yeah. get us on email at uh, historicalminiaturegamers at gmail.com. We'll read your uh, emails out on uh, on the podcast. And if they're appropriate. If they're appropriate. Yeah. Please 
like and share the video. Yeah. Uh, try and support us. Get on top of um, Facebook. Follow us on Western Tabletop, Historical Miniature Gamers. We're both the same sort of uh, the same group. group. Yeah. So, so find us on there. Um, if you like listening to us that maybe can't watch a video all the time, we are a podcast. So yes. we are also on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So please like us there. Give us five-star rating on iTunes. That would be awesome. Uh, thanks for checking in. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.